Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with Carson Demers, which I wrongly pronounce in the first few seconds of this interview, sorry, Uh, and then again later. Carson was a physical therapist who found knitting and then applied his skill and understanding of the human body to the ergonomics of fiber crafts. Carson has written an excellent book and teaches classes at yarn stores, events, and fiber festivals about these topics. As a bit of background, ergonomics, also known as human factors engineering, is the process of designing or arranging workplaces, products, and systems so that they fit the people who use them. So this is very different than the history of workplace design that was more designed for the manufacturing rather than for the person. So it's very person-centered. So this could be as simple as making sure that your elbow isn't propped up on something that leads to shoulder pain, or as complicated as designing a workflow for a factory line worker that requires less strenuous movement. So the history of ergonomics goes way back to Hippocrates talking about how a surgeon's space should be laid out and how his tools should be arranged. Granted, they didn't call it ergonomics back then. The term was first used in the 1940s, but the work has been happening for much longer. One study that I found particularly interesting was the work of Frank Gilbreth. He studied bricklayers in 1911 and found that each time they laid a brick, they bent multiple times, once to grab the brick and the mortar, once to re-dip for the mortar, with additional bending if the brick was damaged or of lesser quality. Once they threw the brick, then they bent again to pick up a new brick. As a result of this study, a height-adjustable scaffold was created to hold the bricks and mortar and save the knees of the bricklayers. So that kind of stuff can make a huge difference in the life of workers. So ergonomics is really important. Now that you have a point of reference for ergonomics, let's talk to Carson. I'm here with Carson Demers. Hey. Hey, Miriam. How are you? Really good. So... You are an ergonomics expert in the world of knitting. How did you come to this really weird space? Well, it was kind of a weird journey to get there. So um, it all started when I myself, I'm also a physical therapist, and mm-hmm. and I um, got injured actually using computers. I switched to, from a oh. clinical position to a management position, and I got really bad injuries and took a long time to get them fixed. And when I got them fixed and I started clinical practice again, I started to see a number of knitters who were coming in with injuries and um, not necessarily from knitting, but they were knitters who couldn't knit because of their injuries. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we don't like that, right? No, we do not. (laughs) (laughs) We have sharp, pointy things and we're bored when we can't use them. Don't make us angry. We carry weapons. (laughs) so um it got me interested in you know just sort of teaching this and i started teaching it in my local yarn shop and Mm -hmm. and then i'm friends with cat Bordy, and i talked to her about it and and people at xrx and decided that i'd bring it to a larger platform and and here i am all these years later yeah we actually met at one of cat Bordy's um self-publishing retreats i know i know i was actually just thinking about those beautiful like astonishing shawls that you showed that year oh thanks wish I had videos of that. Those, they were so beautiful. <laughs> uh, I think actually they're all in the book. 
so I think I had all the pieces from the book. Yeah, I was basically done uh, when I went to the self-publishing retreat. Well, the the knitting was done, but, you know, I was talking about, like, layout and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, so they're all in Twist and Knit. By the way, Twist and Knit is available on Amazon and through my website. If you buy it through my website, I sign all of the books going out. So the link's in the show notes. Yeah, so you started out as a physical therapist and then... And then kind of pivoted to this. Are you still doing physical therapy or are you doing this full-time? Um, I still have a full-time job. I'm not treating patients anymore. Okay. But I am. I am. I manage an ergonomics program that I developed for the medical center I work for. That's great. Yeah, well, because ergonomics great. touches so many different fields. Like, you know, this is highly specialized for you to be doing ergonomics for, like, crafters and knitters. But, like you know, ergonomics in general can make everybody's life better. Yeah, thanks. I agree with that. I, um, you know, I, when, I'm, when I'm teaching to a group of knitters, of course, I teach it to whatever the craft is. So knitters yeah. or spinners or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's completely applicable. And I tell, I tell people that right off the bat. Like even my, my book, even though its title has the word knitting in it, yeah. um, the information is applicable to all craft and not even just craft. I mean, computing and, and mm-hmm. just everything. Because the tool that you use in all of these things is the same. So, yeah. you know, environment doesn't matter so much. It's just how you're using the tool there. Yeah, that makes sense. I know some knitters that do knit until they hurt and then put it down. <laughs> what kind of long-term damage is this kind of stuff doing? Yeah, those knitters are scary for me. <laughs> no, I, I understand um, that. It's going to, because it's going to, you're straining every day. You're straining and building strain upon strain. Yeah. And, and really the piece of information that would be, useful in answering that question is how long do they put it down for? Yeah. Um, you know, if they're doing this on a daily basis, either our, our tissue breaks down as we use it, even if we're not maximally fatiguing it, the tissue breaks down and it needs recovery time. Mm -hmm. So the more you wear it down and if you're not letting it fully recover, you put tissue that's not repaired back to doing full-time work again. And so, um, it just kind of builds on itself. Does it build that, scar tissue in the tissue? Um, you or know, just stress and strain? It's just more stress and strain. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't really speak to it histologically, but I can tell you that the tissue doesn't get a chance to repair. Yeah. So you get these little micro tears and they just keep accumulating. Oof. And you become, you know, you'll start to feel it as fatigue eventually. And that fatigue very, usually very quickly gives way to discomfort and pain. And at that point, you have an injury and you're in trouble. So Yeah, well, and then it takes substantially longer to heal. It does. And especially if you're not giving it that that rest time. You know, these, these folks that just habitually knit until they hurt or spin until they hurt or what have you, you're not doing yourself any favors yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you have a book. And you also run workshops and teach classes to help people find comfortable and efficient making. What kinds of things do you discuss in the classes? We discuss everything from soup to nuts. So I usually start <laughs> the class with a discussion of what is ergonomics because there's, believe it or not, there's a lot of uh, different views of what, you know, what is ergonomics and what's yeah. the scope of ergonomics. And so I like to clarify the scope. That's fair. And, and I'll do that really quickly for for you and your listeners. Yes, um, please. It's, you know, it's not just about injury prevention. It's mm-hmm. about how can I work more efficiently? How can I work more productively? And how can I work more safely? Yeah. And it all sort of comes under the umbrella of doing these things in a comfortable workspace. Yeah. So that's sort of the, it's a larger scope than just not getting hurt for or sure. doing a stretch or what have you. I used to work for a, um, a department at the university that did like industrial ergonomics. So I've got a little bit of understanding, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but thank you. This is very helpful for people who are listening who don't know. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you a really quick funny story. So yeah. my first my first class, my first sort of big class that I, I taught was at a Stitches event. And I had like 30 people in the class. It was a three-hour class. And I was really nervous. I mean, even though as a PT, you know, you teach all the time. But I was nervous to be in front of this group. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to connect. And so as we were introducing around the room, I asked people to tell me what their impression of or their understanding of ergonomics is and it was a really it was such a newbie thing to do because it took like two and a half hours of my teaching time to get around the room to hear these things so now I just start the class so that's my starting point for the class this, this is, is ergonomics and then from there we go on to why it's important for new knitters okay. or, or not for new knitters but for modern knitters because it is different you know you yeah Probably your mom and your grandma didn't need to think about it because we use our bodies very differently. We have different yeah. tools than they did. Yep. Um, and then depending on the class, um, we'll dive into where in the particular environment that you're working in. So in a knitting environment, in a spinning environment, in a whatever, mm -hmm. um, where are you likely to find risk? I usually have videos to show people what it looks like. Um, and then we talk about mitigation, so ways that mm -hmm. you can mitigate it. And it. You know, I have lots of different classes, but that's my basic class sort yeah. of in a nutshell. It's a, it's a perfect place to start. You know, like this is, you know, maybe you should be aware of these things, like beware of these tendons on the back, on the pinky side of your hand. Those are tender. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of I thing. do a class called KnitRx, which is, you know, my little pun for knitting therapy. But yeah. um, in that class, we look at specific specific anatomy that we're, we as knitters are vulnerable to injuring. Mm. And then I, I show the, associ the associated movement or task in knitting that would be likely to cause that mm. kind of an injury. And so yeah. it's a cool class and I hope that people never need to use the information in it. We talk about how to fix things, like how to do some self-care yeah. and when to seek uh, professional help. Yeah, I do think it's a, it's a great experience to, for, especially for people who aren't sort of anatomically, anatomically, educated, I guess. They, yeah. they don't know their anatomy and they don't know their kinesiology. Quick interruption here. Kinesiology is the study of the mechanics of body movement. Okay. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm a doctor's <laughs> kid and I'm like obsessed with science and like the body and stuff like that. I remember that about you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so the two different classes kind of the Knitted Rx kind of dives into more of like this is how your body's functioning, whereas the the base level class just kind of goes over like, be aware of these things. Yeah, the the so the class the the sort of basic class is called um, knitting happily ever after, which yeah. all these years later I wish I'd called knitting comfortably ever after. But knitting <laughs> happily ever after, um, it, it really just it's it's just all the basic stuff. And then yeah. I have classes that are more specific. I have a class called swatch buckling, which looks at. Um, sort of improving and applying ergonomic techniques to your knitting um, through the medium of swatching. So it looks oh, like yeah. kind of a swatching kind of differently. And, you know, I have a whole bunch of different classes that I offer, but they, they all, there's a little bit of overlap because again, most people aren't familiar with even basics of ergonomics. So yeah. I usually have at least a few minutes of that. And then we do the deeper dive into whatever it might be socks or I'm working on a series of other classes now for, like lace and cables and That's what great. have you. Yeah. Personally, I like to use circular needles because I get hand pain along the pinky side if I have to maneuver straight needles and lift all the weight of the extra fabric with the back side of my hand. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any similar kind of like, you know, like soap boxes that you get on about about knitting and oh ergonomics? <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm like, I, I have all the soap boxes. <laughs> you got to stack to the sky of soap boxes. I have a million soap boxes, but I have a soap box about knitting with single point needles. And I'm yeah, going to okay. share, share it with you since, yeah. you know, I mean, you kind of have experienced it. Sympathetic so here. just in terms of like our technology, I, and I use that word, you know, kind of, it's kind of a strange word in, in the hand knitting world, but um, single point needles are really, really old technology. They're yeah. very, they're very challenging levers for our hands to work with. Yeah. And as if you've, as you've discovered, as the piece gets heavier, um, there's more work for your hands to do. And Part of the reason for that is the so there are these different lever classifications or systems. They're called mm-hmm. what you know one, two, and three. And I know I won't bore you with the physics of it, but <laughs> the, the the third class lever is what happens to the knitting needle as soon as the work moves past the axis that it's being supported by. So, so you in other words, your hand, basically. yeah, sort of past where it's resting on your finger. Yeah. Like probably it's going to be your your middle fingers where usually where it rests. Yeah. So once it get gets past that axis, it you have to literally lift it up and hold it up. So it's kind of like if you think about it as a seesaw. Yeah. And you've got one person on the end of the seesaw. You have to go between that person and the axis and lift it up. Yeah. And that's the hardest point to lift it from. So it's a very common injury among single point needle users mm-hmm. who are not supporting the needle with some sort of an external device. Like like the um, knitting belt or that kind of thing. Like right. A knitting belt or yeah. a knitting sheath or those kinds of things. Yeah. Or you could use something. And in fact, uh, Bobbin Weaves, I believe is her business. And she has this brilliant idea, <laughs> which is to take, you know, a piece of bulky yarn and she has like a little lever, little leather kind of I don't know, just like a little square, like a two-inch square. And she puts it around her wrist and rests the needle on that. Oh, so there's interesting. no work that she has to do muscularly. Okay, so the, the, the strength and the stiffness of her arm is supporting the weight of the needle. Well, not even that. It's, it's, the, it's the leather strap. It's the, it's the bulky yarn with the leather piece on it that's holding it up. So she oh, doesn't have to okay. provide any, any hand use, any hand energy to keep the needle in place. That's great. Yeah, it's really great. It's a brilliant solution. Now, as you've discovered, you know, our in our sort of evolution, our ergonomic evolution of needles, we moved from single points actually to double points mm-hmm. because at least there was a smaller load to yeah. to hold on each of each needle. You divided over four needles, and then we moved to circulars because the, the idea being that you can have everything just um, land in your lap. You don't have to yeah. hold it up. Your lap supports a lot of the weight, and then all the rest of the weight is directly underneath your hands rather than having to be levered with your wrists. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, lots of options these days. We're really lucky that we have all these options. Yeah. At some point, I had to get rid of needles uh, because I found I had a nickel allergy, so I had to switch to to, um, entirely stainless steel needles. Mm -hmm. So I got rid of everything, and now I only have, like, interchangeable circular sets. And... uh, I don't ever miss straight needles. You can do everything you need to on on circular needles. You can do everything you need to, and I would say you could do every with interchangeables. You can do everything you need to and more. Yeah. Um, things that you probably wouldn't even think about, like one of the ergonomic risk factors has to do with using more force than is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the common sources of that is people who tend to knit too tightly or who are afraid to work on the tips of their needles, and there's mm. 
that's another one of my soapboxes. There are millions of reasons why we do that. But yeah. the point is that with, with interchangeables, you can solve that problem by going down a couple of sizes on the giving side needle. Yes, that's a great tip. Just give yourself some extra space to get into those stitches. Now, yeah. I will, part of my soapbox, and I will say this to you guys, is <laughs> we should be working on the tips of our needles. That that yeah. tip is a really important evolutionary advancement in our knitting technology. For sure. It's, there's a lot of there's a lot of of uh, consideration that we should put into which what kind of tip and we should be looking at the kind of stitches we're making. Mm. We should be looking at how many stitches in a single manipulation. Yeah. To length and sharpness. You know, you need to look, consider yarn structure and fiber type. So there's lots of stuff that make these tips more specific to a to a kind of. Yeah. Uh, fabric that you're making well like if you're working with you know doing like noops or something that requires manipulation of like nine stitches at a time it's really helpful to have a a sharper point needle with a longer tip like a longer point and that that kind of tapers so it kind of it's like if you you know not your traditional pencil tip like you know pencil sharpener goes straight it's a straight angle from the Mm -hmm. widest point to the to the small you know point point but it kind of it gets it's narrow and then gets wider, so it's kind of a curve. Yeah, there are needles that have a little convexity to them. Yes, that's the word I'm um, looking for. And so it can give you a little bit of a safety net. But honestly, I think if the the first thing I tell um, my knitters is when you're doing needle selection is to pair for friction between the yarn and the needle. That's yes. the first thing. So if they're yeah. too slippery, you know, and what's what what most people are working on for better or worse, is nickel-plated needles with superwash wool mm-hmm. um, or, you know, some other kind of slippery thing, maybe silk. Um, the fibers tend to be slipperier. We tend to not be using the coarser wools these days. Yeah. So with those two slippery things, it's a lot of work for your hands. Well, and you, you, your instinct is to knit tighter, you know, or pull everything tighter to keep it from slipping around. From slipping around. And it, and it makes you afraid to work on the tip of the needle. Yeah. So it just makes much more work for your hand. So if you solve the problem of friction before you even start, yeah, um, it's a really good starting place for then going into, okay, so now that I'm, I'm comfortable working on the tip, how long does it need to be and how sharp does it need to be? That's really good. Really, really good advice. So start with, start with your... Uh, friction, start with friction between the two. Um, keep in mind what kind of stitches you're going to be doing, and find well, a needle needle shape that works with that. Yeah, my process is so I start with the friction, and then I look at if I because usually we know what um, yarn we want to work with, so I look mm-hmm. at the structure of the yarn. Oh yeah, because like a cable plied yarn is going to be is going to be much splittier depending on what needles you're using. So a sharper needle will be easier to get in between, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A sharper needle with a cable plied yarn is probably going to be a little bit more frustrating than a blunter point oh, because it yeah. is because of the splittiness. Yeah, that's true. Or say a woolen spun like um, like a Jameson, you know, jumper weight yarn, mm-hmm. um, or a lopy, you know, something that's really softly or very lightly spun and not even plied. You you want a blunter point, and then you yeah. look at the stitch patterns for that particular piece. So if it's you know as you were saying something with noobs or cables, you're going to want a longer tip on that mm-hmm. taper on that so that you can get those stitches on and have space to get into them so yeah that's that's those are kind of the that's kind of the process and yeah. i i'm a self-proclaimed swatching nerd like <laughs> totally love it and so i i will go to my stash of needles and pull out you know four or five different kinds yeah 
that will that I think are going to meet those, and then I swatch with them to see which is going to be really the happiest uh, the happiest marriage for the life of that garment. That's a really I'm 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 doing a. Uh... I'm basically going to be doing an online class. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do it. It might be through Instagram TV, but uh, basically about gauges and swatching and what you what you can actually learn, what you can infer and what you actually know and how you can make your swatch tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Th- things like that. But that if if I reference you, are you cool with me being like <laughs> from Carson Demers? Also think about this <laughs> because yeah. that's definitely something to put in there. That's important. Yeah, and in my book, I have um, a whole series of exercises called swatch opportunities, mm-hmm. where you can practice, you know, all these things that we're talking about and much, much more. Yeah, in all, all sort of in the the playground, if you will, of a swatch. That's sort of how I look at swatches. It's like going to the gym. Well, swatches are very low low investment. They they should be. You know, I think that I think it's required knitting and it's Absolutely. it's a shame that it's such a bad word among knitters. <laughs> this is what it's, I'm trying um, to do with the class. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just teaching at um VK Live here in San Francisco. I think it was in September, October, mm-hmm. and um I have a class, so all my classes sold out. I have a class called Swatch Buckling, which is one of my favorite classes to teach. And you know, it was pretty full, but it didn't sell out. And yeah. I thought it was interesting. I've actually, ch- um, when I teach for XRX, I actually changed the title of that to Applied Ergonomics. How boring is that? But it <laughs> sells better because it doesn't have the word swatching in it. Yeah. So I thought it was just a me thing until Vogue came along. And Clara Parks was here, and she was teaching a class about swatching. And had the same issue. And she had the same issue. Like, yeah. I mean, Clara Parks, hello. Yeah. <laughs> right? Everybody, her classes all sell out. And it was just so curious to me that that class didn't fully book. Yeah. And I think the word swatching, where I think we, it's a dirty word for knitters, which yeah. is too bad. Well, and like, even for the people who aren't, aren't afraid of swatching, I think that they don't know how much they don't know. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, they think, oh, I swatch, it's fine. But like, there's so much more you could be learning from your swatch. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, my look at swatching, you know, certainly I, for the, the standard things like gauge and wearability and yeah. washability and all that kind of stuff, I swatch for all that. But um, really to use that swatch as a playground, you know, I, I look at it as a rehearsal space. Yeah. So like, this is where I'm going to go and practice with this kind of needle for this pat for this, you know, piece. Mm-hmm. How happy is it? Or I really want to work on my posture. So one of my swatch opportunities is I don't want to. I want to learn to not have to look at my hands for every single stitch I make. So I'm going to yeah. practice knit stitches in a swatch, looking forward, and it doesn't matter if I make mistakes because it's because it's a swatch. Yeah, it's like yeah. auditioning. You're auditioning all the different parts of the of the symphony. Exactly right. That's exactly right. That's wonderful. So what are the major things that you want people to look out for when they're knitting or spinning that might might cause pain? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is recognize the discomfort when it's happening and stop and figure out where it's coming from because there's nothing worse than just working through it. Yeah. We have a real tendency to either, you know, the whole just one more row thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) And so many people get hurt because of that. I mean, honestly, if your body is saying that, it's time for rest, it's time for rest, and you just need to suck it up. Yeah. 
get some stoppers that, for your needles so you don't lose any stitches. Just Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that among knitters, just adding some movement to your knitting will make you a more sustainable knitter. So first of all, knitting doesn't need to be done sitting down. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy 20th century idea. We really can stand. <laughs> we can walk. We have a rich tradition of walking and knitting is mm-hmm. intended to be portable fabric making. So that's... Yep. You know, get get away from the loom and make make um, these fabrics on the go. So um, I teach that st- I teach that, and I think we can all do it. And I think it's true, you know, for spinners too. Stand up from your wheel if you have a, a wheel that you need to treadle. Stand up from it, and again, it doesn't mean you have to stop spinning. There are other things we do in spinning, so go card a little bit, or pick up a drop spindle, or yeah, or pre-draft your next set, but do whatever, it standing. Yeah, yeah. yeah do get off the darn chair and move yeah. around. Um, I have a whole section in my book about adding movement to knitting, and I usually cover th- some of that stuff in, in class where you can pair movements with stitch symbols. So like oh, the, nice. you know, the right-leaning decrease might mean you do this movement, and the left-leaning decrease means you do that movement. And I usually talk about it in my classes, uh, setting up like – if you've ever been to a Chinese restaurant where you get to choose like three items from column A and two items from column B, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so the column A stuff are things that movements I can do while sitting down. And my column mm. B list are things that would get me off the seat, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, add some standing time into my knitting. Yeah. And, you know, uh, when I, I talk a lot about movement markers and a movement marker is a, a different colored marker on your piece that when you encounter it means time to move, you know, time oh, to move the body. Nice. So when I hit that movement marker three times or whatever the number that's appropriate is, um, I choose from column A. And when I hit it that fourth time, it means it's column B movement. I have to get up off the chair mm-hmm. and maybe take my knitting and walk around the apartment or stand up behind the couch and do some leg stretches while I knit or whatever yeah. it might be. So lots of, you know, lots of fun ways to play with it and just get movement happening. Yeah. Well, and like we get so engrossed in our knitting when we're doing it that like having cues in the knitting makes perfect sense. It does. And, you know, we're lucky we have these things called repeats and the repeats are the perfect little (laughs) space to put those reminders in. So, you know, it might be every sixth row I stand up and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I teach my knitters um, how to analyze a stitch pattern for where the risk is and where the rest needs to happen. Yeah. So, you know, again, those are those are some skills that that kind of knowledge can really make you more sustainable as a knitter. That's really great. So how frequently do you think we should be stopping to stretch our hands and arms? Well, I'll give you two answers. The The literature tells us that <laughs> we should be not sitting longer than 20 minutes. Yeah. So you should be standing up at least every 20 minutes. I know nobody does that or, or few people do that. Um, but the other part of the answer is if you are having problems, you need to do it much more frequently than that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and I think it's really good to understand, you know, where are you spending energy in your knitting? Have you have you paired the yarn and needles sort of uh, suboptimally so that you really are working a lot just to keep them on the needle? Yeah, working against your your own knitting rather than mm-hmm. Or using those single points the way you described initially, that's yeah. going to take a lot more work and so you need to rest much more frequently. That makes sense. And then like the, the other piece of that is, you know, again, it takes tissue Every muscle contraction gives you some micro tears. It's just the nature yeah. of movement. And it takes about eight hours of solid rest, which happens during REM sleep and in our sleep cycle. Um, if you're not getting that, 
Yeah. We, you need to be honest with yourself about it because your tissue will need more frequent rest breaks that makes sense. during your knitting. Yeah. So let's talk about micro tears for a second. Let's look at it in the sense of lifting weights, since the examples are a little more stark than for knitting. Muscles are made up of three different kinds of fibers, slow twitch, fast twitch, and very fast twitch. Slow twitch muscles are used during endurance activities, so if you're holding a weight out in front of you, that's working the slow twitch muscles. The fast twitch muscles are usually used in movements like lifting and bending. The very fast twitch ones are the ones that snatch your hand away from a hot stove or other explosive movements. So using any of these fibers causes micro tears. The micro tears then heal and cause the muscles to grow as a protective measure. This is totally different than like tearing a tendon or a hamstring. Those are serious injuries that need to be addressed by professionals. These are microscopic and they cause the muscles soreness after a workout. The micro tears cause the body to respond by sending amino acids to feed the muscles so that it can rebuild. So to rebuild your micro tears, the body needs sleep and it needs protein for the amino acids. Granted, the amount of protein needed to rebuild the micro tears from knitting is probably way less than that needed to rebuild micro tears from bodybuilding. Do you even lift, bro? I also tell people to look at other competing activities for that muscle energy. So if you're on the computer a lot or, you know, like... Um, we're ramping up to tax season. People are probably on the computers a lot more and will be for the next couple of months. Yeah. It's the same tissue, the same postures that we use for knitting. So we should not be doing challenging hard knits right now that are uh, that are prolonged if you're <laughs> If on you're the spending computer. a lot of time at the computer, a lot of extra yeah. time. Exactly. That makes sense. I find that like working with big fat yarn requires much larger movements for me and I have to take breaks more frequently with bigger yarn than with smaller yarn. Like like the movements themselves are exaggerated. Mm -hmm. It might have something to do with the way you tension. I don't uh, yeah, recall. Yeah, tension between my index finger and thumb. It's very weird with my right okay. hand. Okay, so you're you're a, a quote-unquote thrower. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I talk about that tensioning technique, Miriam. <laughs> I I'm, know, the thing is, book. yeah, I know. I know it's not great. I have I have tried learning other ones, but I it flows pretty easily. It's it's less of a like pressure. I'm working on you know, eliminating those, those bad, bad pressures that I put on that index finger thumb. Yeah. And, you know, it might be the size of the needle too, because the needles, as your gauge goes up with needles, they're a little bit more challenging to yeah. manipulate and harder for your hands to hold them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, alternately shaped needles can sometimes be helpful, especially at those larger gauges. This is something be, that I've been thinking they, about. <laughs> yeah. They don't take as much, as much force to um to hold the needle yeah differently shaped needles can really make a difference okay. um different different um amount of energy used to to hold them and actually easier to hold uh, especially if you tension your yarn the way that you do because you have to let go of that right needle to throw to throw or to yes, wrap your needle i do um i keep it in place with my left hand i hold the cross between the two mm -hmm. needles mm -hmm. So that it doesn't drop and I don't really have to like find it, like fish for it to pick it back up. Right, right. And because they're balancing, two cylindrical pieces are balancing. Yeah. If you think about the arc of a circle, it's a very small point of contact between yeah. those two things. So if you were working, say, on a square needle or a hexangular needle, yeah. you have a flatter surface. Yep. So it'd be less force for your hands to keep things stabilized. That is smart. 
yeah, give them a try. They're actually lots of fun to work with. Okay. Yeah, like I've used square needles before, and my thinking was that that you have a corner to push against, so it would take less force, you know, to like to maneuver the needle. Like, and and that point of contact makes a lot of sense too. So like you'd have a flatter point of contact on your thumb and more, um, more stability. Yeah, and you want to stay off the corner of the needle. That's the that's the one thing that people who've tried square needles and and haven't liked them, I found that it's usually because they're holding the corner in their hand, like uh, against their hand. Yeah. And you definitely don't want that. You want to have all the flat parts touching you and not the pointy bits. Well, because the pointy bits are gonna are gonna press on nerves. They're gonna press on whatever's under there. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a risk factor called contact stress, and it can cause some damage. So you you just want to. Well, you know, damage is, is a scary word, but it'll, it'll uh, cause pressure. Our bodies are so, amazing and they, you know, do a really good job of healing themselves if we give them the time and the space that they need to do it. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah I totally agree with that. I, um, I once uh, had a whole like no feeling in my thumb for a couple of weeks because I was cutting leather with scissors that weren't right for it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was real bad. Yeah. That's not fun. Nope. <laughs> Contact stress. So where can people find you? Well, you can find me um, on my website, ergoinit.com. It's a great pun. <laughs> <laughs> I used to blog. I, I have to say I'm like the most I, – I, it's not that I don't like it. I just – I have a full-time job and I'm pretty much doing full-time this stuff too. So yeah. like blogging, something I had to give and sadly it was blogging. But Yeah, blogging – well, and people are reading fewer blogs these days. They're, you know, devouring audio content or like Instagram stories and – yeah, I have a, I have like a deep love of my blog because it's where it started, you know, but I still like can't justify really spending a lot of time on it. <laughs> yeah, they take a lot of time. But anyways, they used to end each of like there was there was always like a point to the to the entry. And, you know, it might have been about some reason that I knit or something. So I'd always yeah. end with my tagline was ergo I knit. Yeah. Anyway, that was, it's kind of nice. But anyway, <laughs> so you can find me there. You can find me. Um, I just did knit stars 3.0, awesome. which is, was awesome and fun. So you can find my class there. Um, and I'm teaching all over the place. So one of my projects for today is to update my, my 2019 teaching calendar. Excellent. So they can so find that, that on your site. They can find it on my site and they can find my book on my website as well if they're interested in purchasing that. Yes, please I'm do. Just, yeah, I'm just look. I'm waiting like this week or next week, I think my third shipment arrives. I'm super oh, excited. Great. Yeah. And it's a self-published book, people. Buy self-published books. because Because like we put our heart and soul into them and they are a very true representation of who we are as people and so much more money from self-published books goes to the person who put the work in. Yeah, honestly, you know, I shopped this around a little bit. And if I had done this as a traditionally published book, my book is 200 and almost 260 pages. Yeah, nobody would have published a 260 page book on ergonomics of handcrafts. No way. No way. They, Not they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't like they would laugh you out the door. They absolutely would. I mean, the best offer I got was, well, maybe 100 pages soft cover. Um, and it would have just been such a such a horrible disservice to our community yeah. to have let that happen. Seriously. Yeah. So. Okay. And uh, you on any social media? Yeah, I'm on all the, all the social medias, I think. All the medias. All the media. So I'm on Instagram, ErgoInit. Mm -hmm. I'm on Twitter, 
ergo I knit. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Um, sadly, and I don't know why, because I, I was really late to the party with Facebook. I don't really get it. <laughs> I have to say I'm really I'm I'm pretty lame with Facebook, but um, I share all my my posts to all three um, all three platforms. So yeah. on there, I'm Carson Demers, which is my actual name. Got it. And I don't know why I did that. It was a dumb move, eh. but it's you know it's it's a professional page for you in general. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's cool. So I'm on, I'm in all those places. Excellent. Uh, so there's a question that I ask everyone in the second season. If you could be reincarnated as any animal, what animal would you be? Oh, my gosh. Um, so I would I would have to say that I would want to be reincarnated as my dog. <laughs> and it's because I love my dog more than like more than almost anything in the world. Like yeah. she's just the best dog in the whole wide world. And so. I would want to be reincarnated as her and hopefully have somebody who loves me as much as I love her. That is fair. And plus, she's beautiful. Oh, my God, I wish I was as beautiful as my dog is. We will put up pictures of your puppy because I love puppies. Yeah, she's super cute. She's on my book, actually. She's on the back Excellent. cover of my book. Ooh, yeah. Nice puppies. What would you be reincarnated as, Miriam? Have you <laughs> Nobody ever asked me. Um, I, I always joke about being reincarnated as a house cat. Mm-hmm. Because, like... You know, sleep all day, play when you feel like it. Somebody else cleans up your shit. That's a good thing. Right? Like, you know, train humans to, to like, feed you. Absolutely. And be as aloof as you want. Uh-huh. That sounds kind of perfect. Like, I think that, you know, as an introvert, cats are, are like, the pinnacle of of introversion. We're like, fuck you, do what I want. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I thought about I thought about maybe being a cat, like, when you pose this question yeah. I thought, well, maybe I would be a cat I don't know kitty litter I don't think I'd like to step on kitty litter yeah and what if you got a person who didn't like wasn't meticulous That's with cleaning true. box that would be a drag well I've had a cat that doesn't like to step on kitty litter and he would perch his little back legs on the side and try to like pee into the box and sometimes miss oh dear it was a big mess yeah that's not good <laughs> that's not good but I think like a domesticated animal, I would yeah. suck at being like like a wild animal. Oh, no, I could never do that. I need someone to feed me, take me to – like my dog goes to the spa every week for a, hair, <laughs> for a wash and set, you know, <laughs> gets her nails done. That's like, who awesome. would want that? Right? <laughs> I think my other option would be a golden eagle. Ooh, that would be good. I saw one in real life once and it was a life-altering event. I've never seen them, but I'm sure they're spectacular. They are ginormous. And beautiful. I saw it flying overhead in, like, Utah desert. It was amazing. Wow. I've seen bald eagles, and they're pretty moving. Um, But golden eagles, I've never seen one. Bald eagles make the squeakiest sounds. (laughs) Isn't it funny? They're like, (laughs) It's like, you're not so butch. Nope. Yeah, I remember I'm um, going up to cats at the retreats, and um, yeah. did, I I don't remember if you were with us. We drove out to some oh the llama point. Alice. No, we went to see bald eagles. Like this, this oh okay. Point where we went to see, and there was this like this uh, the stand of pine trees or something, and they were just there must have been thirty eagles. Oh, that's so sitting great. there. And um, who was there? Sarah Anderson and I think Judy Becker and maybe yeah. Chrissy. There was a whole bunch of us, and um, I remember. 
sitting there watching it and then seeing this beautiful cat start walking under the trees. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, please don't eat the kitty. Please don't eat the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this cat has no idea what it's walking into. I'm sure it's a metaphor for life. but See, and I think I would have thought the other way around. Cat, please don't eat the baby eagles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, these were huge ass eagles. They were like. And I, they must not have been hungry for cat, which is good because yeah. I sure didn't want that mess, that mess happen. Thanks for having this conversation with me, Carson. Thank you, Miriam. It's been great to chat with you. And I hope all your knitters um, are knitting comfortably. Me too. Carson has got a fresh batch of books in and he's offered to give one away for us, which is amazing. So be sure to check out the drawing in the show notes and enter to win a copy. If you know you want the book and can't wait, like me, you can order it on his website, ergoinit.com. You can follow me in all of my making at Miriam Felton Knit Designs on Facebook and on Twitter or Instagram as MimKnits. Thank you so much to the patrons who keep this podcast paid for. If you can't support the podcast with cold, hard cash, you can rate and review in iTunes or share the podcast with your fiber-loving friends. I've seen a lot more shares going on on the interwebs, and I so appreciate that, you guys. My numbers are going up, which makes me very happy. Spreading the word of yarn stories will make a huge difference. You can follow the podcast on social media via Facebook, search for Yarn Stories Podcast with no space between yarn and stories, Twitter at Yarn Stories Pod, or Instagram at Yarn Stories Podcast. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again in two weeks when I talk to Anastasia Williams of Garden Wool and Dye about natural dyeing. Bye. Hey, babe. Hi. What you doing in the closet? <laughs>